you have your Bibles, please open to Proverbs chapter 1, looking at verses 8 through 33, the remaining verses of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 1, verses 8 through 33. If you are able, I'll ask you to stand and honor the reading of God's holy word. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our homes with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths, for their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain a net is spread in the sight of any bird, but these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. Wisdom cries aloud. In the street and in the market, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. Because I called, but because I called, you refused to listen. Have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded. Because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of any reproof. I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind. When distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. Would not have of my counsel and despised all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. Pray with me, please. Lord, your word says the grass will wither and the flowers will fall, but the word of God will stand forever. May it stand in our minds and our hearts today. May we as parents, grandparents, may we as young and naive, the youth, may we have attentive ears today. May we take in and receive your word. And Father, may we not only receive it, but may we be doers of thy word 
and not hearers only. If there's one here today who's never trusted Christ, may they come to Jesus today. And may as Christians we grow in your grace and knowledge. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Two weeks ago, we started the book of Proverbs, and we looked at verses 1 through 7 of chapter 1. And in that first sermon, we started out and had four main points in that sermon. The first thing we did was we looked at the basics of the book. We answered the what, the how, the who, and the when questions about Proverbs. The second thing we looked at was the audience of the book. We saw that Proverbs was written to the young and to the naive but it was also written to the wise and even the family. Thirdly, we saw the purpose of the book. That Proverbs was written to give us wisdom and to give us discretion in the laboratory of life. But then finally, we saw the foundation of the book of Proverbs. And that was found in chapter 1, verse 7. It's a verse I'd say you all know. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge but fools despise wisdom and destruction. And we learned that that was the foundation of the book, the fear of God. And we learned a couple weeks ago what that actually means, that when the Bible talks about the fear of the Lord, it's not talking about being in terror or in fright of God. The fear of the Lord is a reverent awe of God. And it's a worshipful response of who He is and what he's done in our lives. And we learned it's impossible to have reverent awe. It's impossible to have a worshipful response to God without knowing God. And you can't know God unless you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. As one commentator said, he said, to fear God is to know God. And to know God only comes through Jesus Christ. In John 17, verse 3, the Lord Jesus prayed this in his high priestly prayer. He said, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So the foundation of the book of Proverbs is the fear of the Lord, which is knowing Jesus Christ and having a reverent awe of God through the lens of Christ that you can see who He is and what He's done for you in Jesus Christ. Well, today, as we look at verse 8, the next verse, we're going to pick up right where we left off. For now that we know the foundation of Proverbs, the fear of the Lord, Today, we're going to see the great trunk, the great stem that grows from that foundation. Today, Proverbs takes us to the very heart of the trunk that grows from the foundation of the fear of God, and it teaches us that the trunk coming up from that foundation is the family and the need for family within a young person's life. Today, beloved, we're going to look at three main points through this sermon, and this, how, this is how the sermon breaks down. The first point is simply, number one, the need for family. It's the trunk that comes up from the foundation. But then second and thirdly, 
we're going to see what I'm going to call the two ways. The two ways. The first way is the way of folly or foolishness. And the second way is the way of wisdom. In fact, you're going to see that repeated over and over, not just in this text, but in several texts as we walk through Proverbs. But join me as we first look at the need for family, the way of folly, and then finally the way or the call of wisdom. Look back at verses 8 and 9. Let's see the need for family. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. Jim Neuheiser, professor at RTS, once said this. Listen closely. If the fear of the Lord is at the root of our quest for wisdom, family instruction is the trunk from which wisdom grows. If the fear of the Lord is the root of the foundation, then the trunk that grows from that is the family. Let me ask you a question. What or who is the major influence in your life? Maybe as a child or a teenager or a young adult. Who is the major influence in your life? You know, there was once a time in our great nation where the primary influence in society was the family. The mother and the father or the grandmother and the grandfather within the house. But over the past several years, we've seen the decline in family. We've seen the death and decay of the family unit. So there's been a shift in our society for the main influence for a young person. And that shifted to maybe a school teacher or coach or even a friend. And then after that, it moved even further to maybe an athlete, a professional athlete. That's your main influence. Or a musician, an actor, maybe someone from the entertainment industry. But more recently than that, the main level of influence has become even more impersonal. It's become something called the television or the internet or social media. Something that is impersonal, separated from family. And I will say that these things, these types of things, have become substitutes that have replaced the family as the main influence of our children. But as we look at the Bible and we ask this question, what's God's main plan for influence within our children's lives? And the answer is right here in verse 8. It's dad. It's mom. Our children need to be led by the family in the home. You know, as Solomon was writing this, this was not anything new. This was not something that he came up with on his own. A few moments ago, Lad read to us from Deuteronomy chapter 6 these words. This is Moses writing in the law. He said, And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk in your way, when you lie down, and when you rise. 
that there was a call in the Old Testament law to teach your children. Even in the New Testament, Paul repeats this in Ephesians chapter 4. He says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline, the instruction of the Lord. And parents, it's right here that we need to listen up and take this very seriously. Now, I'll tell you what I'm going to do here. I'm going to talk to parents on one side and children. Get ready because I'm going to speak to you in just a minute. So hang on. The Bible's talking here to parents. Parents, this teaches us that we need to take the instruction of our children very seriously. As parents, we cannot send our children to substitute families. Because what we learn in life is if we as parents are willing to send our children to substitute families, to the other pockets of community to get their greatest influence, they're going to go. They're going to go. And we, following this instruction from the Scriptures, can't let that happen. We have to offer them the proper community of instruction within our home. You see the setting here. Verse 8 says, my son. This is a father. This is a mother reaching out to his and her child. And we need to remember something about parenting when we read this. It is not our calling to be our child's friend. It is not our calling to be our child's best buddy. We are called to be the child's father and mother and to love them and nurture them, to instruct them, yes, even discipline them in the Lord. Now I'm going to shift. I'm going to shift to our children. I'm going to shift to teenagers. I'm going to shift to young adults. If you are a child here today, if your parents are in this church, I want you to listen to me as I teach the Scriptures to you. Did you hear what these texts said, this text said to you as a child growing up in the context of your family? This text is inviting you to hear, to listen, to be attentive to the instruction that comes from your parents. James says it this way, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to become angry. When I teach this verse to youth or to children, here's what I do. How many ears did God give you? How many mouths did God give you? One. It's a good reminder, listen twice as much as you speak. God gave you two ears, one mouth. Be attentive to your parents. And it says, you should wear the wisdom that your parents give you like a graceful garland around your neck. This is a vivid illustration right here in the Scriptures of what it means to be beautiful and embrace wisdom. Now, I was a youth pastor for a long time, for 15 years. And I, under, and I understand that fashion, especially for a teenager, is a big deal. But I want you to hear what the Scripture says is actually fashionable in your life. And believe it or not, the most fashionable thing, the most beautiful thing is not what color your hair is. It's not the kind of tennis shoes that you wear. It's not what athlete is represented on your shoe. It's not how many holes are in your jeans. 
What the Scripture teaches you is beautiful in the life of a young person is the wisdom of their parents being adorned on their lives. It says where the wisdom, the instruction that your parents give you that is, was given to them by God, wear it around your neck. Wear it as a pendant on your body. That's what God looks at and counts as beautiful, the wisdom that your parents give you in this world. And the lesson here for the young is be teachable. Remain attentive. One way that you fear God, one way that you know Jesus is following the instruction of Jesus, living under His Lordship. Don't replace your family with something else. Don't give your children away to substitutes. Teach them parents in your home. And children, love that mom and dad who are loving you. you got, and children, remember this. Your parents are not called to be your buddy. Your parents are not called to be your best friend like your pals are at school. They're called to love you and discipline you and guide you in the Lord. Respect them and honor them for that. If indeed the, the foundation is the fear of the Lord, the trunk that comes up from that foundation is the family. But secondly today, we're going to put a slide up about this. Secondly today, not only today, but throughout the book of Proverbs, you're going to see this take place in the Scriptures. The Bible is going to tell you that there's two things, folly and wisdom. And there are two different paths that you can take in life. In fact, both folly or foolishness and wisdom are going to call you. They're going to call you to come and join them. And today, through the rest of this chapter, that's exactly what you see in this text. You see the call or the way of folly. And then you see the call and the way of wisdom. But let's first look at that first way, which is the call of folly. You remember a couple weeks ago we looked at Jesus teaching us that there's two roads, that there's this broad gate, this, this wide road, and over here there's this small gate and this narrow road. And Jesus says, look down the road first, see the end of the road from the beginning, and then make your choice, which road do you want to go on? That's what's happening here in Proverbs. Solomon is saying there is a road over here called folly. There's a road over here called wisdom. Look down the end of those roads. Solomon says, I'm going to show you how to do that. I'm going to show you what's on the end of both of those roads. Look down the end of those roads and then make a choice. Which one will you follow? First of all, let's look at the way of folly. Verses 10 through 19 describe to us this way, this first way, the way of folly. And the Bible says that the fool, the foolish person, will call on you. And again, if you are a child, a teenager, a young adult, they are calling to you. One of the audiences of Proverbs is the young, the naive, and folly is going to call out to you and say, come, 
come my way. And here's some things that folly is going to call on you to do. Here's some things that folly is going to promise you. Are you ready? There's four of them. The first thing folly will do is promise to give you community. Folly will give you community. Look at verse 11. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood. That the foolish person will say, hey, join our gang. Don't be left out. Lots of other people are doing this. Come, come join us. Parents, did you hear the substitute family? Because right there it is. Look no further to find the substitute family. Folly will call on your child. Come with us, Folly says. Folly will tell you as a young person, listen to me. Listen to me instead of listening to your mom and dad. Listen to me instead of listening to God. And if you're a young person here today, if you're a child, a teenager, a young adult, listen to this. When a community wants to pull you away from your family, when a community wants to say, come join me, get away from the influence of your godly parents, that's folly calling. That's what it sounds like. That's what it looks like. When you're invited to be drug away from your family, look at what verse 16 or verse 15 says. It says, "My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their path. They're going to f- give you community. And what's going to make it so hard for you not to join them is what's next, because here's the second thing folly does. Folly is provoking. Folly is going to entice you. Look at verse 10. My son, if, sent, if sinners entice you. We're going to look at a couple verses from James. This is James chapter 1, 14 and 15. James, the half-brother of Jesus, writes this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do you see the two verbs, lured and enticed? Let's talk about that real quick. Behind the word lured is a hunting illustration. It's the hunter who has put food and out and, and set a trap for an animal to come in, so the animal will be attracted to it the smell of it, the look of it. He's hungry for it. So the animal comes in and snap goes the trap. He's lured in. The second one, enticed. That's a fishing term. The guy casts his rod into the water and maybe there's something on the end of that that's metal or sparkly or or shiny that it makes, it, it, it glimmers in the light and it looks attractive to a fish. It's bait that's dangled in front of a fish. And the whole idea behind enticed is to make something look attractive or appealing so that the fish will come and be interested in that and leave the safety of where they are and go and take the bait. The young person will be enticed will be lured by the fool to take the bait in this life. 
you will be pulled away from your safety net and asked to come because sin is so enticing. And that is the exact way that Satan uses foolish people in this world. Fools will be lured into making sin look so appealing, so attractive, so fun. And guess what the Bible says? The Bible says that sin's going to be fun for a season. But the end result of that sin will be destruction of your heart, your mind, your soul. But you're going to be lured and enticed by it. You remember Judas? Judas followed Jesus for several years. And someone dangled out some bait right in front of his eyes. Here's 30 pieces of silver. And he took it because his heart was far away from God. One pastor said it this way. My, I remember my old Baptist pastor used to use this line. Remember this one. Sin is going to take you farther than you wanted to go. Sin is going to keep you longer than you wanted to stay. Sin is going to cost you far more than you ever wanted to pay because sin is provoking, sin is enticing. But thirdly, folly also promises you a quick profit. Look at verse 13. Verse 13 says, We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. This is quick profit, easy money, something that's very enticing to the young, to the naive. It says, hey, let's circumvent the system. We don't have to work hard. We're going to make money instantly. And you could say this is a warning against improper friendships. People who say circumvent doing what is right so that you can do wrong and get wealthy the easy way. And then finally, folly promises or folly, excuse me, folly makes false promises. Look at verse 14. Verse 14 says, throw in your lot among us, and we will all have one purse. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, hey, we're a group of us, we're going to go steal from these people together. We're going to go take all that they have, and when we're done, you know what we're going to do? We're going to divide it up equally. You're going to buy that one? We're going to torment these people over here, but when we're done, hey, all's good, man. Everyone gets the same. Come on. But to the naive, to the young, hey, that sounds good, right? That's going to happen. Let me go do that. But you know what the Bible says? It's a trap. <laughs> it's a trap. Look at verse 17. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. <laughs> These fools, they're not even smarter than the birds. I mean, even the birds get out of the way. And this is saying, the, the, the foolish man who follows this folly nonsense, you're not going to even be wise enough to get out of a trap that's in plain sight. You think you're going to be messing up someone else's life and gaining from it, but guess what you're doing? All you're doing is you're messing up your own life. And that's the story of Haman. Haman said, I'm going to get Mordecai, right? 
I'm going to get him. In fact, I'm going to prepare the gallows that Mordecai is going to be hanged on. I'm going to plot against Mordecai and, and create the place where Mordecai is going to die. But God was looking out for Mordecai. And Esther, being wise, called Haman to task right before the king. And the gallows that Haman created to hang Mordecai, it was the same gallows that Haman found his neck wrapped around a rope hanging from it to his own death. He tried to get this guy, but he ended up hurting himself. That's what folly does. Verse 19 says, folly takes away your life. Now, practically speaking, what does that mean? It means it destroys things in your life. Here's what it means. It means that your mind is going to be destroyed when you listen to the folly of pornography. Your heart is going to be destroyed when you listen to the folly of greed. Your community is going to be destroyed because these, this so-called substitute family is going to abandon you at your greatest time of need. Your body is going to be destroyed because you, you find yourself in prison because you went with this quick gain of stealing and taking from someone else Yet you find yourself being arrested and suffering the consequences of your actions. And like Haman, you might find yourself hanging from someone else's rope. You thought it was going to be for someone else, but you are now at the end of that rope. Young people, listen. Folly is calling, and it is calling you. His her voice is inviting, it's enthusiastic, it will promise you community, it will entice your eyes, it will guarantee you a profit, it will make you promises, but it's a trap. And now you know that the trap is wide open. Even birds won't go into a trap like that. My question for you is, when you look down the way of folly... When you see what the scripture says about folly, can you see the end from the beginning? Can you see the end from the beginning? Wisdom teaches you to do that. My friend, do not walk in the way of folly. Hold back your foot from its path. Because there's another way. You see, the Bible says you don't have to go this way. There's another way. It's called the way of wisdom. We read about this way in verses 20 through 33. And if you go back and you study even verse 22, look at verse 22. You see that there's at least three groups that wisdom's calling out to. You see them? The simple the scoffer, the fool. Wisdom's calling. It says, hey, there's another way. Listen, listen, wisdom says. Listen, those who are vulnerable, whose heart is hard, who, the one who despises wisdom. Do you not see there's a choice in front of you? You don't have to go the way of folly. Because wisdom says in verse 23, if you choose wisdom, blessing's going to come. Look at verse 23. If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit 
to you. I will make my words known to you. In the New Testament, let's look at another passage again from James chapter 1. James talks about this in his first chapter. Listen to this. He says, if any of you Christians, if you lack wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without approach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. The Bible promises to you as a believer, if you seek the Lord, the Lord will impart his wisdom to you. God will pour out his spirit upon you, this text says. Even in the New Testament, the Lord Jesus talked about pouring out his spirit on those that follow him. Wisdom will be given to you. But if you reject wisdom, calamity will come. Verses 24 through 32 talk about the calamity of the man who rejects this path. You know, the Bible teaches us that God is a long-suffering, he's a patient God, but there's going to come a time when his patience is going to run out. The Bible says to us, it's appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. That there will be a reckoning day with the Lord Jesus Christ. But he talks about in this second chapter, verse 24, he says, you've refused to listen to me. In 25, wisdom says, you've ignored my counsel. You have disregarded reproof. And from this text, we learn that wisdom doesn't like being ignored. Look at verses 26 and 27. I will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you. This is a vivid illustration. There's a touch of sarcasm here, but yes, it says wisdom will have the last laugh. And then wisdom says, okay, when it's time for judgment, when it comes that reckoning day, then you're going to call out to me? You're going to call for help on that day? Wisdom says you can't hate God on one side and expect Him to answer you on the other. For those of you who have the Reformation Study Bible, look at that. There's a, there's a comment in there in the text. It says, you, it says, no one can expect God's favor and at the same time scorn the gifts He offers. It says that the fool has made their choice. And the result is found in verse 32. They're going to be killed. They're going to be destroyed. But, verse 33, whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread or disaster. Can you see the end of the road from the beginning? And now let's answer this question. This Old Testament, whole folly, wisdom, what does that have to do with Jesus? 
What does any of this have to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Is this just, is this just Old Testament stuff about being good and bad, right and wrong, being, obeying your parents? and obeying? It's not. Did you know that this has everything to do with your relationship with Jesus? Remember your foundation, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Let's remember those two verses we saw a couple weeks ago. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says, Jesus Christ is the wisdom of God. Colossians 2.3 says, in Christ are hidden all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And just as wisdom calls to the simple, to the fool, to the scoffer, you know what Jesus does? He calls. Even our call to worship today, come. Those who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. There's a call that goes out from Jesus. Because when wisdom speaks, Jesus speaks. Come, Jesus says. There was a promise made by wisdom that God's wisdom will be poured out. It will pour out the spirit of wisdom. Did not Jesus Christ pour out his spirit on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2? There's the promise that wisdom will teach and give life and security. Didn't Jesus say this? My sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life. They will never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. That binding grip of Jesus Why does wisdom result in security? Because Jesus secures every single one of his followers. And then finally, wisdom said there's going to come a day when the judgment of God will fall. Wisdom says there's going to come a day when people will call upon wisdom and wisdom will indeed laugh. Wisdom will be rejected because those folks already made their decision. Jesus says it this way, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, and whoever does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. The voice of wisdom is the voice of Jesus. Beloved, as we conclude this sermon, think back to those three points. First of all, in your own home, do you see the importance of family? If the foundation is the fear of God, then the trunk of that foundation is the family. This indeed is a call to all of us as moms, dads, grandparents, grandmothers. We must be willing to sacrifice our conveniences if those conveniences take the place of the responsibility that comes of leading our family. We cannot give our children over to substitute families. Secondly, children. Do you see the call here to listen and be attentive to your parents? I encourage you as children, even today, sometime this week, reach out to your mom and dad and just say, hey, thank you for loving me. Thank you for striving to raise me in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Be grateful for your parents. And then finally, do you see the two ways? Folly will call you. She will. She will look beautiful, interesting, inviting. She will entice you to no end. She will lure you like a fish. But see the end from the beginning. Her ways are destructive. Her 
ways end in death. Avoid her at all costs. Why? Because there's another way. And that's the way of wisdom. And indeed, the voice of wisdom is the voice of Jesus Christ. Jesus says, come to me, I'll give you rest. Jesus will pour out his spirit upon you. Jesus will give you life, not only now, but will secure you to the very end. Jesus will secure you from following under the judgment of God. There's two ways. It's the way of folly and the way of wisdom. Can you see the end from the beginning? Now that you know that they're there, which way will you choose? Let's pray.